If you do have your Bible, I want to ask you if you would to turn with me to Numbers chapter 22. Uh, as I always do, I want to ask you also, would you keep your Bibles open there this morning? Because we're going to walk through a lot of this. The reason we didn't have a scripture reading this morning is we're trying to cover three chapters in the book of Numbers. This is what we get when we uh, when you let me stay out of the book of Numbers for a couple of weeks. And we're going to try to cover double, cover double when we get back to it. Uh, And so I wanted to keep this story together, but I told Steve when I came in this morning, I knew early in the week as I was looking at this passage, it is going to be really difficult for us to keep it together, but we're going to try to because I think the overall point of the story is really what you and I need to hear today. So we're going to read some of the text together, keep your Bibles open. I'm going to walk you through some of the story uh, and ask you to read the text as you study and pray and reflect on this passage even this afternoon. If you're new with us, we're in a study of the book of Numbers, which is a story about a people of God traveling from slavery and bondage to a land of promise. These are Abraham's descendants, and God had made a promise to Abraham to take them to a land that he would give them. As a matter of fact, God made a covenant with Abraham that he, through Abraham uh, and through the nation that he would make of Abraham's descendants, bring them life and land. Ultimately, that promise is bigger than the nation of Israel because the life and land that God is ultimately speaking about is life and land to all of those, the New Testament would say, that by faith are descendants of Abraham, which means it's us as New Covenant, New Testament believers, we have the promise of God. And so we learn from the book of Numbers because you've got the people of Israel between slavery and bondage, the deliverance has already happened, and they're not yet in the promised land. We find ourselves in that very predicament. Redemption has been purchased for us, and yet we're not yet fully in the promised land. We've tasted it. We've seen what God is doing. He's redeemed our hearts. He's given us eternal life, and we now, too, are on this journey to the promised land. So we learn much from this people. It's been a rich study in the book of Numbers, and so I encourage you, read with us. If you have not kept up with this study with us, I encourage you to read back through the Word of God. It's all so rich. I mentioned the first Sunday of our study in Numbers. There are two major themes in this book. Holiness and judgment. God is going to show us that His holy character will not allow Him to just overlook sin. Judgment is going to come. We've seen that over and over. And in chapter 20, just to bring you up to date, because we've not been here for some time, we saw that everybody in the nation, with the exception of two, had rebelled against God. This two represents a remnant that still obey and love God. As a matter of fact, chapter 20 was really key for us because we saw the leaders also as faithless. There are two deaths of leaders in chapter 20, and in the middle of that chapter is where Moses even rebels against God. So not only the people, but the leadership have rebelled against God. And so God's judgment is poured out upon His people. And so we need to ask about God's holiness and His judgment. We know that there's none that deserves God's mercy. But even in the midst of judgment, we saw God's mercy in the second major theme of the book, and that is grace and hope. God doesn't abandon his people even in their rebellion. Let me say that again because you and I need to take hope in that. God doesn't abandon his people even in their rebellion. 
While the people had rebelled, God sent serpents to bite them. Once again, the people under judgment turn. Moses prays. God is merciful. And he gave Moses instructions to form this brazen serpent. It commanded the people to look and live. To look and live. We saw the people experience some victories at the end of chapter 21 because they're on the boundaries of this promised land. They had spent 40 years in the wilderness. An entire generation has passed away because of God's judgment. Now they come, they get a taste of victory in chapter 21. But they have much, much battle before they actually get to the full promised land. There are many battles ahead of them. We'll see them rebel again. We'll see them complain again. But they got a taste of victory Isn't it good when God gives us a taste of the kingdom, of the victory he's given us? That's where they are. And so now we kind of pull back in chapter 22 and we see what's going on outside of Israel. This this text, this passage in the book of Numbers is unique in that Moses is not speaking here. We don't see God's voice come by Moses for the first time in this book. It's going to come by a pagan sorcerer as a matter of fact. The scenes are not in Israel, but they're away from Israel. They're, they're looking at Israel coming into the land. And so it's like we get a sense of what's going on outside of those looking on to the people of God as they make their way into the promised land. I'll say to you today, if you take away anything from this text, it is that as you are walking on the way to the promised land, as we are coming to the fulfillment of the ages in Christ, Know that there are those who are attacking, who hate what God is doing. There's spiritual warfare going on. There are those who would curse the people of God. And yet God is working even in our world. He's working in our midst. We rebel. He's faithful. We see a salvation. But in all the stuff that you look at in the world, God's working there too. That's what the people learn here. Moses is going to record this story to show us that God can use a pagan sorcerer, an enemy king, and of all things, a donkey to make a mockery of how he's looking, how he's working in those who are blind and cannot see. So let's walk through this together. As we come to this text, it brings us this excellent story that highlights the major themes of the book. It's like God stops to tell us this wonderful story. It's it's a a beautiful summary, pinnacle of the book of Numbers and what God has been teaching His people. I want to walk through this text in three major parts. Bear with me because the first part is going to be where we spend the most time, but the last part is the most important. So stay with me and we'll get through it together. First part in chapter 22. What is going on? An enemy king calls a pagan sorcerer to curse Israel, and he comes. Look at it with me. Verse 1, chapter 22, and read the first six verses for us. Then the people of Israel set out. They had some victories, so they set out and camped in the plains of Moab beyond the Jordan at Jericho. Balak, the son of Zippor, saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites. Read about that just as an aside back in chapter 21 where they destroyed the Amorites. Moab sees it and look what happens. Moab was in great dread of the people because they were many. 
Moab was overcome with fear of the people of Israel. And Moab said to the elders of Midian, This horde will now lick up all that is around us as the ox licks up the grass of the field. So Balak, the son of Zippor, who was the king of Moab at the time, sent messengers to Balaam, the son of Beor at Pethor, which is near the river in the land of the people of Amal, to call him, saying, Behold, a people has come out of Egypt. They cover the face of the earth, and they are dwelling opposite me. Come now, curse this people for me, since they are too mighty for me. Perhaps I shall be able to defeat them and drive them from the land. For I know that he whom you bless is blessed, and he whom you curse is cursed. This is the word of the Lord. The kings of Moab and Midian form an alliance here. And Moab's king, who is Balak, major player in this story, he is king of a nation that takes, his ne- takes its name from the firstborn of Lot. And they represent the enemies of God's people here. Why would they be so afraid? He mentions in this text the Amorites. If you read out of our history, you would know that the Amorites had come up and defeated Moab and drove them out of a major portion of their land. And so he is looking and saying, if those who defeated us have now been defeated and destroyed by Israel, what is going to come of us? And so he's greatly afraid as you hear in the text this morning. But most significantly right now, Moab represents the enemies of the people of God in that they stand in the way of the people taking the land of promise and thus they're facing imminent battle. We're also introduced here to a sorcerer in verse 5, Balaam, son of Beor. Balaam is a prophet, a seer, a sorcerer from Mesopotamia. He is one of a horde of sorcerers that seek the gods plurality of gods there, so they're not seeking the God, they're seeking the gods of the age on behalf of paying customers. That's very important for us. We read about Balaam, and you're going to see him a couple of times in the text of Scripture, and it's always in a negative light. He is seeking paying customers, those who will give him money, and he seeks the gods on their behalf. It may be helpful to know that people often thought that these sorcerers could influence or manipulate the gods to work in their favor. And that's exactly what's happening with Balak. He finds one that he thinks is very successful. He brings him money. He sends uh, 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 um, uh, ambassadors to him to encourage him. Why don't you come and do our bidding? Pray to the gods on our behalf. And so he has a reputation of being able to influence the gods, as you saw in verse 6. For I know that the one that you bless is blessed, and the one that you curse is cursed. These sorcerers, these seers, these prophets, false prophets, we call them, would do this on behalf of nations. And apparently, apparently Balaam has had some success. In 2 Peter chapter 2, the Bible speaks of Balaam, and it says he is greedy for money. Jude 11 says the exact same thing. In Revelation chapter 2, when the revelator is writing to the church at Pergamum, he mentions Balaam, and he says, the one who taught Balak to put a stumbling block in front of the people of God. And so we learn from Revelation that Balaam here, in his success, in his actions, in his payment for for cursing others, that he has taught Balak. Balak sees, that's what he's doing. Maybe I could call him. It's a great idea. If I could curse this people, then I'll be okay. I will win. So go give him some money and bring him to us. Now, note this. It's going to be clear that he knows of Yahweh in the story. 
And this makes the next part very interesting. Look at verse 7 with me. So the elders of Moab and the elders of Midian departed with the fees for divination in their hand. And they came to Balaam and gave him Balak's message. He said to them, well, lodge here tonight and I'll bring back word to you as the Lord, that's Yahweh, as the Lord speaks to me. So the princes of Moab stayed with Balaam and God came to Balaam and said, who are these men who are with you? And Balaam said to God, Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, has sent to me, saying, Behold, a people has come out of Egypt, and it covers the face of the earth. Now come, curse them for me. Perhaps I shall be able to fight against them and drive them out. Note verse 12, God says to Balaam, here's God, his instruction. There's no, there's no wondering what God says here. It's as plain as it can be. You shall not go with them. You shall not curse the people, for they are blessed. And so Balaam rose in the morning and said to the princes of Balak, Go to your own land, for the Lord has refused to let me go with you. So the princes of Moab rose and went to Balak and said, Balaam refuses to come with us. Now let me say a few things as a matter of helping us for the rest of the text. First, I want to make a kind of a side note here, but it's a serious thing. If Balaam knows the God of Israel, if he knows Yahweh, then certainly he knows what God has said about Abraham. God has determined from Genesis 1 to bless His creation. As a matter of fact, the Lord, the Bible says that God created. Let us make man in our own image. And as soon as God created them, male and female, He created them. And the Lord blessed them. It has been God's determination from creation to bless You go to Genesis 3 and sin enters in. God still has this determination to bless his people. So go all the way to Genesis chapter 12 and God chooses Abraham. He says, Abraham, through you, I'm going to bring one who will bless, who will be the one that I will bring blessing to all the nations through him. Your seed, Abraham, is that one. And so whom you bless, I will bless. Or who blesses you, I will bless. And who curses you, I will curse. Balaam knew God. Certainly he knew of his covenant. That's part of the covenant with God. So if God has already said it, why is Balaam asking God, can I go curse this people if he knows God? Now let me just make an aside here just for you. There are some things that you don't need to go to God and ask about. I hope that you don't spend a lot of time in your prayer asking God if you can do something that is opposed to God's word. God's already spoken about things. There's no need to go pray. Balaam says, oh, there's money involved. Let me go ask God. I'll get with you guys in the morning. I'll I'll ask my God about this. And he he goes and he asks Yahweh about it. And God comes and says, you shall not go with them. And Balaam says, I can't go. And so verse 15 picks up. Verse 15 picks up. And they come back to Balak. And Balak says, not acceptable. Send more honorable people. Take more money. Go to him and promise him, I will do things of great honor to him. Go tell him, I'll give him more than you took the first time. And so they go back. Balaam receives them. He says, let me go ask God again. Let me go ask him again. You read verse 12 with me. God's God's instruction was very clear. There's no debating it. Now he says, let me go ask God one more time after he hears this. And so he goes back to God. 
And God essentially says, if you're set on doing this, Balaam, then sure, go. All right? So really rough paraphrase here. You men will know what I'm talking about here. When you want to do something and your wife says, you know, I wouldn't do that. I don't want you to do that. And you keep on and on and on. And finally, your wife says, sure, go. It never comes out well, does it? Children, when you ask your parents, hey, can I do this and you can I do this? They say, no, no. And you keep coming back and keep coming back and they say, sure, go. That's basically what God says. Sure, your, your heart is set on it. So go. Here's what God determines. I can use you, Balaam, with an evil heart who is a pagan sorcerer, and I will use you to show my sovereign plan and to even use the one who is intent on cursing the people of God to bless the people of God. So sure, Balaam, go. I'll use you. And so Balaam goes with them. Verse 21, he saddles his donkey and goes with the princes of Moab. Let me say before we move on too far, God had already determined that one of the major points of this text is God has already said, I'm going to bless my people. And the promise of Abraham or to Abraham, the covenant promise is, I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you. And so one of the things we're going to learn in this very text is God's determination to bless his people will never be turned apart. Despite the rebellion of his people, despite the enemy kings, despite a pagan sorcerer, when God determines to bless his people, he will. And he usually uses extreme, out of the ordinary means to do so. The Apostle Paul says it like this in Romans 8, referring to us, those who, whom God has determined to bless in Christ Jesus. And he says this about us, For I'm sure, I'm convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. God is determined to bless His people, and He will. And He will. God had already said no to Balaam, and yet here he goes. He's going. Sure, go ahead. Now, look at what happens on the way, beginning in verse 22. But God's anger was kindled because he went. The angel of the Lord took his stand in the way as his adversary. Let me walk you through this part of the text because it's very key to where we're headed in this text. But essentially, Balaam saddles his donkey, he takes two servants with him, and he gets on the road. He's going to visit the king of Moab. In his mind, I believe still, to be paid to curse these people. And yet, he's not going to be successful in doing what Balak thinks he's going to do. God's anger is kindled against him. Perhaps here, the Bible doesn't tell him, but perhaps it's his evil desire for money. I'm going to be paid. Perhaps it's his intention to still curse the people of God. And yet God has said, don't go, you shall not curse them. Well, when God said don't go, he didn't listen. He asked again. Now God said, do not curse them. Perhaps he's not even convinced there. The Bible doesn't specify why God's angry. But we would assume from the reports in the New Testament, this is why God is angry with him. And so he saddles his donkey and he goes, his donkey... A donkey sees the angel of the Lord standing in the road that they're traveling on with drawn sword to kill him. The donkey goes off in the field to avoid the angel. Balaam is not happy with his donkey. not obeying where he wants to go. So he takes his staff and he strikes the donkey. 
The donkey comes back around, gets on the road. Avoided the angel of the Lord. They go through a vineyard, and the vineyards there were most likely through some small town or city, and the vineyard would have a wall on one side and, and, and vines growing up, and the donkey sees the angel of the Lord standing again. And so he goes all the way over on one side. The Bible says he crushes Balaam's foot against the wall, avoiding the angel of the Lord, and goes around the angel of the Lord again. And Balaam, again, not happy when his foot is crushed against the wall, takes his staff and strikes the donkey again. The donkey comes back off, avoids Balaam's death again. The donkey sees, the man doesn't. Don't miss the irony. The prophet, the seer, he, he can't see. The donkey does. So finally, they get into this very narrow spot where there's no going around. And the angel of the Lord is standing there with drawn sword again to kill Balaam because of his evil intent, because of his evil heart. And the donkey can't go around this time, so the donkey just lays down. He drops to his knees, and then he drops on his belly and just sits there. Can you imagine how happy Balaam is? He's got a long journey to go, and his donkey just lays down in the middle of the road. Balaam... He's not happy. As a matter of fact, the Bible says Balaam's anger is kindled. Now you read verse 22 with me. God's anger is kindled. Now we get down in verse 27. Balaam's anger is kindled and he, or, or kindled and he struck the donkey with his staff. Verse 28 is the most amazing verse in this story. The Lord opens the donkey's mouth. Now don't miss the irony of the picture. There is a man who is claiming to influence the gods and he has two servants with him and he is going to have a conversation with a donkey. And the donkey wins. The donkey has more sight than the man who says he's going to speak on behalf of the gods. So look at verse 28. The Lord opened the mouth of the donkey and she said to Balaam, What have I done to you that you have struck me these three times? And Balaam said, Because you have made me a fool. Now note this. You have gotten the picture. Note what he says. I wish I had a sword in my hand, for then I would kill you. Whose anger was kindled? God's. Who had the sword? God's messenger was going to kill Balaam. Now Balaam says, If I had a sword, I would kill the donkey who has saved his life on three occasions. The donkey said to Balaam, Am I not your, am I not your donkey? on which you've written all your life long to this day. Is it my habit to treat you this way? And Balaam says no. In verse 31, the Lord opens Balaam's eyes. And he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with drawn sword in his hand. Can you imagine Balaam in that moment? He bowed down and fell on his face. The angel of the Lord said to him, Why have you struck your donkey these three times? Behold... I have come out to oppose you because your way is perverse before me. Now, note that. Your way, Balaam, is perverse. And so I'm going to kill you. The donkey saw me and turned aside before me these three times. If she had not turned aside from me, surely just now I would have killed you and let her live. The donkey wins. She is the one who can see. But Balaam, you are not. You can't see. Now, listen, let me give you another side application point. Just put this in your mind. Dwell on it. Apart from God's grace, God's creation is more perceptive of God's presence than we are. 
apart from God's grace, God's creation is more perceptive of God's presence than humans are. And that's what's happening here. God uses this donkey. Look at verse 34. Balaam says to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned, for I do not know what I did not know that you stood in the road before me. Now therefore, again, told you to take note, watch this phrase. If it is evil in your sight, this man is persistent in his rebellion, isn't he? Can I go? No, you can't go. Can I go? Can I go? Can I please go? Can I go? You don't know how much money they've sent me. Okay, sure, go. All right, I'm going to kill you because you're perverse. Your intentions are wrong. You didn't listen to me. I'm going to kill you. God spares him through a donkey who sees. And now he says, if what I'm going to do is evil in your sight, Lord, then just, just tell me. God's already told you. And yet he is stubborn. God says again, okay, verse 35, go with the men. But speak only the word that I tell you. He's driving that in his mind. Speak only what I tell you. He's getting Balaam's attention so that God is going to use a pagan sorcerer to bring his word to bless his people. And you and I are going to be encouraged by it. So Balaam, rest of the chapter there, Balaam goes. Balak says, why didn't you come the first time? He says, well, I'm here now, but I need to tell you. No need for me to tell you all the stories because I'm not going to tell you I had a conversation with a donkey, but I do need to tell you. I can only say what God reveals to me to say. Balaam still wants the money. I'm here, but my life has been threatened. I have been changed. I'm here. I want you to pay me, but I'm only going to be able to say what God tells me to say. Do you see the irony of Balaam's anger versus God's anger, of Balaam killing the donkey who could see against God killing Balaam who could not see. Balaam is attempting to make a mockery of God, and so God just kind of puts this story in there and says, let me, let me show you what a mockery is. I'm going to let you have a conversation with a donkey who sees more than you do. And he's going to tell you what you need to do. Now, listen. Step out of the story for a minute. The people of Israel are not aware of what's going on here. They had rebelled. They were in, seen some victories. They're getting ready to go into battle. God is working, and they don't even know this part yet. They don't know what God is doing. Where are you right now in your life? Do you know that God is working for your good to bring exactly what He wants? Psalm 76.10, the Bible says this, Surely the wrath of man praises you even the evilness of man is going to praise you God there is a certainty in God's salvation of his people and he will use whatever means whatever is going on in the world to bring it about he is promised and he will not relent He will not relent. He is working together all things for good to those who love God and are called according to His purpose. Trust in Him. This story is to bring us faith in what God is doing in the world for His cause. He has promised to bring you to the promised land. What are you going through right now? Know that God is working even in the evil things that are going on in the world. God is using them for good. To those who love God and are called up according to His purpose, He's bringing you to where He wants you. Even in Israel's rebellion. 
He has promised he will not relent. Let me quote a song for you. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ, I'll stand. No scheme of man, no, no power of hell. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. So God is going to make him a spokesperson. Now, second part. I told you the first part was the longest. Let's go through the second part. Keep your word open. We're going to go through this. There are three major oracles. Verse 23, let me give you the pattern. So here's what's going to be said, and we're going to look at the oracles together of what Balaam says. Balaam comes to Balak. Balak makes seven altars. First, Balak sacrifices to his gods. He brings Balaam to a place called Bamoth Baal. It's Baal is the end of that name. You'll read it and see it. It's the high places of Baal where you can look over and see a bit of Israel as they're camping in the wilderness, as they're there ready to come. And so Balak builds seven altars and he offers burnt offering on them. And Balaam says, stand there by your altar. I'm going to go and see if God will give us, give me something to tell you and I'll tell you everything told you it's all I can say I'll tell you everything that God says and so he does look at verse 20 chapter 23 verse 7 Balaam took up his discourse so what God says to Balaam to say about Israel remember Balak curse Israel Balaam says I can only say what God says and so here he goes from Aram Balak has brought me the king of Moab from the eastern mountains come curse Jacob for me come denounce Israel How can I curse whom God has not cursed? How can I denounce whom the Lord has not denounced? From the top of the crags I see Him. From the hills I behold Him. Behold a people dwelling alone and not not counting itself among the nations. Who can count the dust of Jacob? Or number the fourth part of Israel? Let me die the death of the upright. And let my end be like his. Balak, of course, is not happy with that. Why? Because he says, how can I curse? God has told me I can't curse, so this is what God says. How can I curse what God has blessed? In other words, Balak, you can't do it. It's not going to happen. You say all your incantations, it's not going to happen. God has blessed them, so I can't curse them. Look at verse 10. Who can count the dust of Jacob? This is the promises of God being fulfilled. A pagan sorcerer is now affirming the promises of God of the people of Israel coming out. They are as the dust. And so in the end he says, the man who is just at death says, I want to die the death that they have. Let my end be like Israel's end. Now notice, we're going to get there, but notice here, there are a few of these, few of these times in this that we're talking about plural Israel. Some of them it's him, singular. Just put that in your mind. We'll go. Second oracle. Balaam's not, or Balak is not happy. He says, look, I hired you to curse these people. And so he takes them to another high place, and he goes up and he builds his seven altars. He offers his offering. He stands by them. Balaam says, let me go and see if the Lord will say anything. He goes. When he comes back, he has a word. Look at verse 18. Rise, Balak, and hear. Give ear to me, O son of Zippor. God is not man that he should lie, or a son of man that he should change his mind. He said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not fulfill it? Here's what Balaam says. God, speaking to Balak, I'm not like you, Balak. I can't just be bought. I can't have enough money and buy all the things that I want. I'm God, not like you. 
and I will not change. I've determined from the beginning to bless. I chose Abraham and his seed through which to bless the entire world. I will not change. And so, read on. Verse 20. Behold, I received a command to bless. He is blessed and I cannot revoke it. He has not beheld, he has not beheld misfortune in Jacob, nor has he seen trouble in Israel. Watch this. The Lord their God is with them. And the shout of a king is among them. Israel doesn't have a king. What's he talking about? He's pointing us forward. Just keep that in mind. Verse 22, God brings them out of Egypt and is for them like the horns of the wild ox. For there is no enchantment against Jacob, no divination against Israel. Now it shall be said of Jacob and Israel, what has God wrought? Look at the miraculous glory of God and what he's going to do with Israel. Behold a people. Look at verse 24. As a lioness, it rises up. As a li- and as a lion, it lifts itself. It does not lie down until it has devoured the prey and drunk the blood of the slain. This imagery of a lion, the king of the beast, points us back to Genesis 49 when God says of Judah, the lion of the tribe of Judah will come. The scepter will not pass from his hand. There is one coming that will be like a lion and it will rule and reign. God's glory is going to be seen in what he does with Israel. I can't do anything about it, Balaam says. Look at verse 28. Balak says to Balaam, All right, do not curse them at all and do not bless them at all. Just stop, right? I've asked you to curse. I've told you I was going to pay you. Stop doing anything. And so Balak says, let me, let me, I might still have a chance. You want to talk about stubborn people? Anybody in here stubborn? Okay, your spouse is. So tell them, elbow them right now. Jenny and I have arguments about who's more stubborn in our house. She always wins. Just kidding. Balak says, all right, let me try it one more time. Let me take you to one more high spot. Let me see if I can show you the people, and he does. So chapter 24, look at what happens. I just want to read that first part. Balaam saw that it pleased the Lord to bless Israel. Now all of the altars are made, all of the sacrifices are given. It says, he does not even go. He says, I don't even need to go and seek the Lord. I'm not going to go and seek him. But I'm going to set my face toward the wilderness. Who's in the wilderness? Israel. He sets his face toward the wilderness. Balaam lifts up his eyes. He sees Israel camping tribe by tribe. And the Spirit of God comes upon him. And he took up this discourse. Read it with me. Chapter 24 is the word of the Lord. The oracle of Balaam, the son of Beor. The oracle of the man whose eye is opened. This is the one whom a donkey saw more than him. The oracle of the one whose eye is opened. The oracle of him who hears the words of God. Who sees the vision of the Almighty. Falling down with his eyes uncovered. How lovely are your tents, O Jacob. Your encampments, O Israel. Like palm groves that stretch afar. Like gardens beside a river. Like aloes that the Lord has planted. Like cedar trees beside the waters. Water shall flow from his buckets and his seed shall be in many waters. His king shall be higher than Agag. Read about him in the end days. And his kingdom shall be exalted. God brings him out of Egypt and is for him like the horns of the wild ox. He shall eat up the nations, his adversaries, and shall break their bones in pieces and pierce them through with his heirs. He crouched, he lay down like a lion and like a lioness. Who will rouse him up? Blessed are those who bless you, 
and cursed are those who curse you. We've come full circle to affirm the promises of God, a pagan sorcerer God uses to bless Israel, to show the blessing that God has determined. Listen to me, church. Whatever you are in the midst of right now, you need to know that our God's sovereign, providential work in this world has not faltered. It has not given up. There is nothing that can happen in this world that should discourage a, a child, a born-again child of God, because God is working. He has determined to bless, and He will bless. Balak's anger, for the third time, verse 10, Balak's anger was kindled against Balaam, and he struck his hands together. Balak says to Balaam, basically, I won't pay you anything. I've called you to curse, and you can't do it. I'm not going to pay you Anything. Balak says, I told you the second time you asked me, even if you give me all of, your, all of your silver in your house, I can't say anything that God doesn't tell me to say right now. And so, verse 14, so now, behold, I'm going to my, I'm going to my people. Come, look at it, it's a key verse, come, I'll let you know what this people will do to your people in the latter days. For those of you that are in Steve's Sunday school class, that, ought, that phrase ought to... Stir something in your mind in the latter days. When is that? That's in those days to come. So Balak is angry with Balaam. And Balaam says, all right, I'll go home. You don't have to pay me. But just before I go, God's given me one more word. I'm going to tell you what these people are going to do in the end days. Future even for us. The latter days, we live in the latter days. Christ has come and the end of the ages is upon us because Christ has come. These are the days in which we live. So listen to a pagan sorcerer that God has sovereignly chosen to use to bring His word about His people. He took up His discourse and said, The oracle of Balaam, the son of Beor, the oracle of the man whose eyes open. I feel like he probably says that a lot from here on, don't you? The oracle of him who hears the words of God and knows the knowledge of the Most High, who sees the vision of the Almighty falling down with his eyes uncovered. Verse 17, I see him now, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. It shall crush the forehead of Moab and break down all the sons of Sheth. Now you have heard me enough to know if I ask the question who's he talking about? You know the answer. I see him but not now. He's there. Jesus is coming. I behold him, but not near. He's not here. He's there. He's coming. A star will come out of Jacob. The seed of Abraham will come out of Abraham's descendants through Judah. And he will bring a kingdom. A scepter will rise. The kingdom of God is going to come. And it will never pass away. As a matter of fact, listen to Genesis 3 in chapter in, in verse 17. It, that star, that king, shall crush the forehead 
of Moab and break down all the sons of Sheth. Where do you hear that from the curse that came upon us? Here is hope in the story of Israel on the edge of the promised land. One is coming that will crush the head of the enemy of God. He will crush the head of Satan. Praise be to our Savior. Balaam, outside of Israel, prophesying about what is going to happen in the latter days, in our days, that Jesus is going to come from Abraham. He will be a star coming out of Jacob, a king that is rising out of Israel, and he will crush the enemy of God and bring restoration and peace. That's essentially what he says in the rest of this. Edom shall be dispossessed. Seir also and his enemies shall be dispossessed. Israel is doing valiantly. And one from Jacob shall exercise dominion and destroy the survivors of the cities. He goes on and he mentions Cain and Katim and Asher and Eber who are mentioned in Ezekiel. Looking forward to the end of times, Jesus will crush the enemies of God. So church, if you're wondering today, here's what I'd say. There are enemies who are trying to curse the people of God. And if you were to hear them or see them in the news or in our nation or in this world, you could get discouraged. There are those who are working evil with evil intent and God can take everything, the people of God or evil, and use it for His glory. Take courage. Grow in faith just like this one who could not see now has eyes to see the end of times. He is reading and now prophesying the future even for us. There's a king coming. For you and I would say the king has come and he's coming again. Take heart. Grow in your faith. So we would say here, kind of application, trust this king who is coming. Simple application, don't be like Balaam. Don't let a donkey outsee you, out-argue you. Have eyes to see. Trust in the one who is coming.